Well, hello, everybody. It's Aristotle Full Throttle. This is the Aristotle Full Throttle Show. And there's no and. It's just Aristotle Full Throttle. Welcome to the show. I'm Aristotle Full Throttle. Here to talk to you about the news of the day, the hot topics, the things that are everybody's talking about, the stuff that's on the tip of everybody's mind, the things, everything that you could possibly think of, right? Esmael Kawiya, thank you for being here. You're the first person to comment. Uh, yeah, hold on a second. I just gotta... I gotta push all these things in and, and adjust things. You know, it's the show where I do all of these extraneous things in order to just get started. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, welcome to the show, Ismael. I would like to play your intro, uh, but I'll get a copyright strike. But let's just play it anyway. It doesn't matter. Call me Ishmael. No one's was a that put to see the name of the ship was a belly of tea. No one's it almost did it. It almost made it. <laughs> it was just a little too stuttery, a little too stutter step. I don't think you could say stutter. What can you even say anymore? I don't think you could say things are lame because then you're making fun of people who can't walk. If you call someone dumb, then you're making fun of people who can't speak. <sighs> so I don't know what we could say anymore. Um, it doesn't matter. Maybe we'll find new words to say to describe the exact same things. Hey, you raccoon raiders. I'm going to play like two seconds of your intro and see if what happens. Let's see what happens. <laughs> raccoon raiders, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Uh, listen, I got a lot of talk about today. They caught the suspect. They caught the number one suspect in the Brooklyn shooting. Because somebody shot up a, a subway train yesterday in Brooklyn for, uh, thankfully, nobody died uh, from the shooting. But uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people were injured and hospitalized and they're in critical condition. And this guy decided to light off a smoke bomb and shoot up a, a subway car in Manhattan or in Brooklyn, my bad. And Brooklyn, don't mess with Brooklyn. You're going to get caught. Don't mess with no Brooklyn. We're going to believe the hype. They're going to catch you. They're going to catch you, and they're not going to be very nice to you. It just kind of brings back a lot of horrible memories. Having grown up on Long Island, there was a Long Island uh, shooter, Long Island Railroad shooter. Many, many years ago, about 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, it was insane. Could you imagine? It's horrible, horrible type of thing, because you're captive. You're on a train. You're in a train car. You there's nowhere to go. So... Uh, my heart goes out to the people who have been violently attacked and are hospitalized right now. Those people, hopefully they recover quickly and all is done and well and good. And Oh, it's horrible, man. Some people just take advantage of... I don't know, some people are just really sick, you know? You don't want to sit there and give someone an excuse and say, you know, they're sick. They're just really sick. Some people just evil. You know, some people just got evil in their hearts. They just want to see the world burn, as uh, Alfred says in The Dark Knight. He's talking about the Joker. Some people just want to see the world burn. So I think that uh, it's really unfortunate. It's an unfortunate mess. And I hope that, you know, we got to survive this planet. I think about this often. We have to, you know, we have to really pad ourselves, guard ourselves, be strong inside. I think that, you know, a lot of us feel the world 
should change for the better. And I think that too. I think that everything, but we shouldn't rely necessarily on the world adhering to our personal moral compass and our personal moral, our personal, you know, requirements. The world is a dangerous place. We have to learn to build our character and be stronger and deal with things that happen. I mean, I, I imagine these people in that situation will never see the world again the same way. And it is always a good and noble effort to try to make the world a better place. It really is. But you also got to be prepared for it to suck. Because most of it, it depends on your framing. I think about this a lot. You know, I've had major successes in my life. And I'd like to frame it that way. Otherwise, I can think of all the major failures I've had. But I don't believe in failure. Also, I just don't. I think you could keep doing something and then eventually stop doing that. I don't think you ever fail, necessarily. People say they're a failed musician. I'm like, no, you stopped. (laughs) You stopped pursuing it. If you continue something for long enough for the for the sake of doing it, then you're not a failure. You're someone who is succeeding in life. You're doing what you want to do. And I find that to be successful. I find that to be a success. If you end up doing exactly the things that you want to do in life, then that's a success. If you want to just make lots of money like a lot of corporate people do, then you're successful for sure. I had a friend back in the day who equated success with like a dollar amount. He's like, what? Like, and I said, that's what you consider success. He's like, yes, yeah, success equals having lots of money. And I, and I said, you could just be born with a lot of money. <laughs> Are you successful? You know, I don't think so. I think success is measured by uh, your dreams and how much you're pursuing those dreams and how much you're going after those dreams and how much you're realizing those dreams. That's success and achievement. Success is not a dollar amount. In my book, success is personal. What's the secret of my success? Michael J. Fox. Actually, it's Helen Slater. You know, also, I just say that... uh, the world can be dangerous, and the world, like like Michael Jackson's dangerous. The world, that's the album. Yeah, Thriller, Bad, and Dangerous, all back to back to back. But I'm just saying, um, you gotta be willing to weather the storm. Because there will be storms. You gotta be willing to you know, if you want lots of money in life, that's cool. That's all. If that's your only pursuit is a dollar amount, then you're successful. You're personally successful. Uh, but again, you could just be born with lots of money, and that doesn't make you a success. The world isn't fair. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be. You just have to figure out how to like roll with it. I know that, again, it's a noble pursuit to, to be like, make the world fair for everybody. And that's what we want, right? Ideally. But it's just not. We have to also acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge the reality and pursue the ideal. Uh, that's, that's a quote 
You can quote beyond that. Want some coffee? Me and Grogu is hanging out. Now, I talk about all this stuff like about how the world and how the world's the way we want it to be and how there's evil in the world and there's some people that just want to see the world burn. But it's also ego is involved, you know? Not just ego, the living planet, played by Kurt Russell in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Ego, like the construct that uh, Freud told us about. The ego, super ego, and the it. There's like the sense of your own self, you know? You got your own self, sense of self. You've got your... I am a dude with glasses and a beard and an afro. It's like, well, I could change all of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But my ego, my sense of self, is like, that's who I am. But I could literally just, depending on how I grew up or where I grew up and my sense of style, I could just be totally looking different. I, would, I wouldn't necessarily appear the same or even be the same. That's environmental. But uh, it just reminds me of a story because I just think about the times where you see what matters to some people and doesn't matter to you, you know? One time someone made fun of the fact that I had, like, a certain type of, like, shoe. And I never, I've worn the shoe, like, one time. And it was given to me. And they were like, you got those shoes, ha, 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 ha. This person's an adult person. And I was like, uh, yeah, I wore them once. Why is that funny? Oh, it's just really, it's just really geeky. And I'm like, all right, well, okay. I guess that means something to you. <laughs> I guess that's upsetting to you. I guess you're... You would be upset by that, but me, I have literally no feelings toward it. I don't, I've worn these shoes once for their very purpose, and they were given to me as a gift. I wore them once. But they, they couldn't, like, let it go. It was weird. And I was like, oh, so your, your values and my values are clearly different. <laughs> we clearly do not care about the same stuff. Which is weird. It's just weird. So you got to figure out what people give a crap about. I just want to talk about Amber Heard for a minute. A lot of people are throwing stones, you know. Amber Heard and Johnny Depp are in court right now fighting like some kind of dispute. Because apparently one is claiming the other one abused the other one and vice versa. Clearly they have a toxic relationship. Or had one. But the problem I find is that most people will run to the seemingly more vulnerable parties side in a lot of those cases. And I take I talk from experience when I bring this up. Um I did I had a partner who was very physically abusive. <laughs> very rageful and abusive. And I just didn't I was surprised by it. I was like, ah, this is very surprising. I've never experienced this before. Luckily I'd never experienced it before that. I was I consider myself lucky. I bring up framing before when I was saying, I, you know, I measure my life by the successes I've had. Or you can measure your lives by the near successes you've had. And I say near success or success or whatever. Depends on what, it's all relative. Depends on what you're trying to achieve. Because I've had these major events go fall through. But I can't let that define me, you know. Like I've had uh, major record deals fall through. Capital Records. I've had um, major business deals fall through, but it's always with you know corporations. 
just major things fall through. And I, and I go, oh, you know, if only I got that. And if only I got that. But then I think about all the things that I did get that were really great, that were really successful and really uh, fruitful. And I could say, well, I could frame my life that way, can't I? I could frame my life in a more positive way based on the things that I've achieved versus the things I almost achieved. <laughs> I don't believe in failure. I believe in near success and success. But I, I talk about Amber Heard because I, I, I had a partner who happens to also... They, 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 they almost resemble each other. But that person that I, that I, part, I was partnered with was very uh, destructive and very abusive and in the in retrospect it's tough to be a dude in that situation because you can't be like hey she's really physically violent and, and rageful and <sighs> people just don't believe you and um so in the case of johnny depp and amber heard i'm gonna sit there and i'm gonna be a neutral party a lot of people are just jumping on Johnny Depp's case and saying Johnny Depp is the bad guy in this case because he's the guy. People just automatically assume that the guy in an abuse case is the abuser. But in my experience, it has not been <laughs> that. So I am going to see what the facts bear, what they bore out. And um, I don't know. You know, it's really difficult to accuse one party sight unseen. But a lot of times, the seemingly innocent party, the seemingly vulnerable party, the seemingly uh, truthful party, Amber Heard, is even recorded. Even on record, there's a recording that was released of Johnny Depp going, why do you throw shit at me? Sorry, I don't ever curse in the show. Why do you throw stuff at me? Why do you... Why do you hit me, he says. She's like, because you deserve it, <laughs> something like that. So, like, oftentimes, this is just a word to the wise. Um, if someone blames you for their behavior, run. You should never be blamed. You should never be responsible for someone else's actions. People can decide to behave the way they want. It's on them. So whatever comes out of this case, I'm leaving an open mind. I don't know who was the abuser in this situation, but personally, out of personal experience, um, let me just focus up. Could be anybody. Sad. A lot of times they do studies with like child psychology and they'll show... Two little kids, right? Be like a bigger kid and a younger kid. They're siblings. And they'll be... Uh, they'll they'll observe the family dynamic. Like behind glass. Like in Ghostbusters 2 when Egon was watching the family. He's like, let's see what happens when we take the puppy away. Let's turn the heat up in the room. It's a very funny scene. It's the best scene in Ghostbusters 2. It's the most Ghostbusters scene in Ghostbusters 2. But sometimes they'll observe the two kids... And there'll be one kid, the little kid, the littler kid, littler sibling, will be crying, begging for attention. Basically, they'll be crying and and uh, 
being like seemingly like they're getting bullied by the bigger sibling, right? So what happens is they go to the videotape after the parents coddle the smaller child who's crying and accusing the bigger child, the bigger sibling of hurting them or pushing them or taking their toys away or whatever. They'll go to the videotape and what happens oftentimes, many, many often, oftentimes, the littler kid, the more vulnerable seeming kid provokes the bigger, older sibling to a point of complete and utter frustration. <sighs> Until the point where, and oftentimes the little kid will jump on top of the bigger kid and then the bigger kid will push them off of them. And then the little kid will start crying and then the parents will run in, pick up the little kid and say, what did you do to him? What did you do to our little child, the smaller? You, why are you picking on your little brother? You know, and it turns out the little kid, the little kid was responsible, was actually the, the, the provocateur of this, the whole, the instigator of the situation. And the older kid who's not quite there enough yet, old enough to really learn these lessons of responsibility and stuff, you know, they act out. But so what I'm saying here is, is this will, I see you out there. Sometimes looks can be deceptive to quote Brad Pitt in Burn After Reading. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> looks can be deceptive. <laughs> is this will says... This case has been long gestating and litigating in the court of public opinion many times over. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. I'm not going to count Johnny Depp out. I don't think that Johnny Depp has any public history of... No one has ever accused him of this that I know of. Suddenly, Amber Heard is out there with like multiple people saying, yeah, she's the instigator. She's the one who's like, making claims she's the one chopping part of johnny depp's fingers off there's a thing about privilege you know and i, th I feel in my opinion that amber heard also johnny depp he's a white dude he's a very privileged person he's a very good looking get dude very privileged in that sense and she as well very privileged in that sense she's got pretty privilege he's got pretty privilege so the two of them, you wonder, how much of the world have they really experienced in an accurate way? And, uh, I don't know, I wonder. I wonder how much of the world that she, um... A lot of times when people are used to getting what they want, <laughs> and they don't get it, they will make horrible claims. They will try to be the victim. That's what I always say. Look out for who's trying to play the victim. I think this is the, the how to wrap up this conversation, to sum up this conversation. Look for who's claiming to be the victim in a situation. Don't blame the victim because people are genuinely victimized in situations. But which one of them is crying they did this to me 
Because Johnny Depp is just like, hey, here's some tapes of me asking why she physically assaults me and and her just literally saying, because you make me do it. And she's out there saying, no, he's been horrible to me. He's been such an abuser. But she's never, she's stopped short of making like full-on claims of abuse. So. so you gotta, it's a very, I definitely am swayed in one direction about this case. I definitely think that uh, Amber Heard is uh, lying. <laughs> Only because of my personal experience. Only because of my personal experience where I'm like, oh, there are people in this world that will physically hit you and, and throw stuff at you and break things and rage and scream at you and then claim that you're the one that made them do all of those things. There are people in this world like that. Watch out for those people. Isis Will says, it all started going bad when they were barred from going to Australia or something over animal abuse claims or something along those lines. Oh, I remember that. He couldn't bring his dogs or something. It just seems like it's spiraling out of control. It seems like it was a very toxic relationship. They should just get away from each other and stop trying to like sue each other. Just break up. Get away from each other. You're clearly not working. This is not a good situation. You know? But, you know, I was it was ridiculous because I was watching some of the footage of Amber Heard in the courtroom and she was, like, crying, like, fake crying. And most of Johnny Depp just looked surprised at everything that they were claiming he did. <laughs> he just was like, really? Okay. This is all baffling and surprising to me. So... Honestly, I don't. I didn't find her crying that convincing, like her acting. Um, ah, it sounds like I'm bashing Amber Heard, but you know I have a personal stake in this matter. <laughs> I'm not being sexist. I'm just telling you that it's not always how things are said to be. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm saying. Violence is never really the case, unless someone's trying to attack someone that you care about. Then you could just take the head off, just twist it off like a top, throw it to a basketball hoop. That's what I do to some anybody who tries to attack some, me or someone I care about. That would happen. Isis Will says, big age gap makes for odd relational dynamics. Is this Will? I see what you're saying. I, I tend to agree with the sentiment. And there seems to be a lot of evidence for that in a lot of cases. I, however, don't think that that's the case in this case. I think it's two actors. <laughs> and actors, we know, you know, it's very stereotypical in the sense that actors just... I don't know what it's... Will, yes and no. I would like to say that there are people who are at of advanced age who have not learned a single thing in their life about how other people work. I think it, I, I don't think it has anything to do with age in this case. I think it has more to do with empathy and the ability to perceive and the ability to want to just cover your own CYA. You know what I'm saying? Cover your own bases. I think that things spiraled out of control in this situation and then they just keep going 
deeper. They keep digging a deeper and deeper hole with it instead of just walking away. They should just really walk away. Kanye, walk away, okay? Kanye, walk away. There's no big age gap between Kanye and Kim Kim Kardashian. They're just, you know what I'm saying? It's just drama. But again, this isn't isolated only to actors and performers. This is just universal. This is a universal thing. But I would like to mention age age can be an issue. But there are people in this world who are very young and wise beyond their years. And there are people who are very old and don't know... They don't know crap. It's really kind of startling and stunning. This person I told... I mentioned about the, with their tantrums and stuff this person who to these rages there 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 was not a significant like not a very significant age difference between me and them uh, they just behaved that way I think that abusive behavior is belongs to abusers and it could be at any age I don't I don't as I go through life, I'm just noticing more and more there are people who are don't have many years, but are very smart. Also, people who don't have many years where you're like, oh, you haven't learned this yet. Ah, I see. You're going to have to take like another five or six years before you learn that. You know, like I was saying yesterday on yesterday's show, I was talking about how uh, oftentimes you're like, you see people and you're like, you warn them of certain things that will happen or may happen to them. And you're like, listen, I've, I've seen this. I've been here before. But they don't seem to just take it on face value. It's almost like they have to learn it themselves. A lot of people learn a lot of lessons early on and actually take the time to learn from them. You know what I mean? I don't know why I keep messing with this. Um, but they take the time to learn from it, you know? There's a lot of people who just don't. Some people just do the same thing over and over again. It's sad. You know? I talk about... Sometimes I talk about my... Uh, another relationship I had. Where... I I remember asking them... It was, it, was, it was... It ended really ugly. As Aristotle talks about relationship advice. It ended really ugly. And I was like... Thinking to myself... When I first met this person... I was like... So, how did your last relationship end? <laughs> this is a good question to have. What was the problem in your last relationship? What were the things that you struggled with what were some of the things that became problems just just like a nice little thing if you decide you want to like actually be together that's something you want in life because people will repeat those patterns and it will have nothing necessarily to do with you which i'm trying to sit remind myself (laughs) but uh people will repeat these patterns they'll just repeat themselves and and Look out for it sometimes. If someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time, as what Maya Angelou remembers, reminds us all. You know what I mean? If someone shows you who they are, believe them. So if you see someone who's like, you know, it was interesting because I had a partner, they were like, they mentioned how their ex was like, they just kept rattling on about how I could never apologize for anything. I was like, red flag. (laughs) Turns out that person never apologized for anything. Because they didn't know how. They didn't 
have that level of emotional intelligence. That's right, Will. Emotional intelligence supersedes age, but experiences, regardless of emotional intelligence, can help wise up the most immature people uh, to certain things in life. Yes. Uh, yes. There are things like years where um, you could say, look, I've noticed these things before in my life. I don't know. It keeps coming back to keep talking about this but like i had a, I had a situation where i was a little bit older than somebody and i said hey like i'm and they're like don't don't tell me it's because you're older and i was like well i'm not gonna say, i've never mentioned this before i've never brought this up as an issue but the, the thing is there have literally been several years that it took to learn these certain things in certain relationships and i'm noticing these things now and I recognize these patterns. I'm recognizing these things that are going wrong in our relationship because I have been in several relationships and I'm noticing, I'm, I'm seeing a thing that I've seen before. So I'm aware of it now. Um, but it's hard to convince people of that. They'll, they'll just think that like, so that on the same token, Will, you know, you're right. There are years of things that, you know, if you play the piano for... But again, you could play the piano at three years old and be amazing. You could be like freaking Mozart, right? Or you could play the piano for 20 years and just never get good, you know? So it just depends on your skill set and depends on what you're you're open to and able to do. And uh, you can't get mad. You can't get angry at people for not being able to do something. I've learned. You know, you can't be like, hey, dolphin, do a tap dance number for me. Come on. Come on, jellyfish. Do a pirouette. You know, you can't, like, get angry at anybody but yourself. You can't get angry at things that people aren't able to do. You just have to accept it and move on. Just be just talking about stuff. Hey, is this Will? Is this Will has entered the chat? Is this Will? Welcome yeah, to the chat. It will. Uh, am I right or am yes. I right? <laughs> it depends. Where I left off before I joined was you were saying that you can't be angry at dolphins for not being dolphins or something like that. And not being able to tap dance. I joined yeah. it. I mean, you could yes, work all day. Where... You could fashion tap shoes for a dolphin and hopefully, but if they can't do a Tommy Tune dance number, you can't get mad. <laughs> They're just not able, yeah. technically. You know? So I think we, my... we have the, uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think my issue oftentimes is uh, assuming that other people have the same moral aptitude or emotional aptitude. You know, it's just assuming that, you know, we all think the same way emotionally, or at least, re you know, but that's, that's kind of my downfall, I think. I think I assume people are good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's frustrating sometimes. 
Well, as a fellow communications major, but one that was a theory of rhetoric, uh, I remember I took this class called Interpersonal Communications. Oh, yeah, I now, took that I one. was taking it because it was just an, uh, an elective in the major, and I'm like, all right, what's this going to be? And it was basically a class about relationships. Yep. I took a class. Relationships, but ultimately, just the dynamics that people have. What you got there? Can I get one? Is it is it Cheetos? It is bite-sized white corn tortilla chips and tomatilla and avocado Ooh. salsa. I oh, we got, got it in the house from work, so I'm like, that's you need a snack. Food I'm gonna that just you don't have to cook. After oh, yeah. this conversation, we're gonna talk about best chips because that sounds like a good chip to me. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's a chip off the I old block. I already have judged you for your, for your love of Cheetos, so I do love biased my, against you, man. Listen, I like uh, jalapeno cheddar Cheetos. They're the greatest chip ever, I think. I could eat a whole bag of them right now. You've seen me eat them on the show. Noel Dreher so 2 says... So the flavoring I could go for... Yeah? Yes, but are they the... Go for it. Uh, whenever you point a finger at there, people, there's always two others pointing back at you. At least two. Don't they say like three? Mm. I, I guess if you got injured in the war, there's only two. So, Will, so you, I you have an uncle who only had two fingers on his left hand. So He's deceased yeah, now, but Uncle Smith. Well, Uncle Carl, was it Uncle Phil? Because you're you're Will Smith. Uncle Red <laughs> was his, his what he was known as. Uncle Red. Proper name oh. was Fodor, F-O-D-E-R, and my grandfather apparently accidentally chopped off three of his fingers while chopping wood. So, Ooh. there you go. Well, they're just extra anyway, but they won't be able to get to, so to the piano. So when he pointed at people, he got away with it. Yeah. There's no Could... snappy comeback. <laughs> <laughs> Literally no snappy comeback. Uh, so, Will, you, you said uh, about age and then emotional intelligence and we were talking about that earlier about uh years and yeah yeah the experience thing where we're talking about there where you you talked about the relationship where you said you you were with someone who was younger and it was obvious because of your experience that you had done it several times and they hadn't and they were beholden to you but begrudged the fact that you would even bring it up and, yes, uh, and, but I this was like toward the end. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the thing. It wasn't like yeah. Well, that's it. Usually, takes. Oh, I lost you, Will. I lost you. I stopped talking. Oh, can you okay. hear me? I can hear you. I just shut up. I'm just trying to be a good listener. <laughs> oh no, no. I, I was just gonna say that like that was toward the end. Like, it never been an issue, at least apparently, until, you know, I just started seeing certain patterns toward the end where I was like, oh, this is toward the end of a relationship. I've seen this before. It's like watching a movie. It's like I've seen this movie before. I see, I've seen how this movie ends. You know, like when you get two-thirds through, like, uh, let's say, a Marvel movie, <laughs> you know, you're going like, okay, so here come the big boss battle, and then, then it's going to be over. Yeah. Like... You get to Act Three, you start to recognize what Act Three looked like, because <laughs> it's just yeah. that's and and then uh, you know this particular person never claimed to really have a, a serious relationship before, and uh, so it was like 
to them, none of what they were doing seemed like anything that would have been suspicious or anything that would have led on to clearly the end of a relationship. But me, <laughs> just being able to right, generally yeah. recognize patterns, and I like telling stories, and I, like, I was just like, hey, by the way, because I'm like this many years older than you, I've had a few rounds of maybe a few more time for a few more rounds of this. This looks very familiar to me. <laughs> like, I know what this You're looks right, like. Yeah, if someone's never been in a relationship long enough to really grow apart from someone they really cared about, then if you have, you'll know what that feels like. And someone else, they just might not know what that feels like. Um, yeah. And like in, in my experience, one of the things that really stood out for me was when you are trying to be very idealistic in a relationship, you're like not keeping score. You're not trying to bear grudges against somebody. You're trying to be fair. But it, along the same lines, like when something makes an impression on you, you don't forget. And when you get to that point where it gets a little pettier and you start to realize all the offenses that you've absorbed, or they recognize the offenses yeah. they've absorbed, suddenly the scorecard comes out and, oh, magically it has been filled out. Yeah, like, they have suddenly been. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and you. And that's when, like, something that hasn't been said or has gone unsaid but has been felt yeah, gets said. Like, you know, I haven't said this this whole time, but you remind me of my dad, and he gets on my nerves. <laughs> right. To, uh, that, for me, that's a stereotypical thing that will come out of a, a conversation about two people of different ages or vice versa. And it's going to it'll flip with genders, too, because in people we have certain things that come out when we feel that we're an authority on something and we're dealing with somebody that we care about that we're trying to keep in our lives or uh, trying to direct in such a way that they're in our lives and they fit comfortably that it creates an impression. And so for the other person, if they are willful of what they're doing and they're like, well, I'm doing what I want to do and it sucks that you feel the way you do because we got a problem now they're going to hear what you're saying to them completely different. And it's like people are giving each other the leverage they need to get out of a relationship. And again, right. it's like until you've been at that point in a relationship, you're not recognizing what's going on. But like, if you've been there, you really, Oh, it's like, Oh no, we're playing tennis now. Here we yeah. go. Here comes the first volley. What do I got? <laughs> Cause I'm going to have to return this serve with something or this yeah. is just going to just completely degrade. And you know, it's just a factor. Um, with the depth thing not to delve too much into it but like one of the impressions i got from the things that i initially heard going on with him at the time even before the whole marriage thing blew up was that amber he heard with alcohol right so clearly yeah. and like and so whenever you get substance abuse involved in these dynamics it like it colors everything to me because it's like it doesn't mean that that person's unreliable but my experience has been people who are uh, dealing with substance issues they, that becomes emotional, psychological crush in their relationships and it opens the door for things to happen that shouldn't happen anyway. So you can't use that as an excuse to forget the person that's dealing with the person who has the, the problem, but those problems can exacerbate problems in a relationship and escalate the dynamics. Like uh, another person who's in a similar but not similar situation is Ryan Adams. Like he pretty much got oh, yeah. canceled 
Mandy Moore canceling wasn't. Yeah, not just Mandy Moore. There were a litany of women who in the music industry who had interactions with him that came out. Um, Mar- very Marilyn Manson. Notoriety. Yeah, he's more recent. Um, but with Adams, it was very well known that he had struggled with substances for an extended period of time and was open about it and recognized that it was not a good thing. Um, and it tried to correct the path of his life afterwards. But still, in the midst of that, he was still doing things that in the music industry and entertainment in general, people get away with all the time because it's the culture. There's a culture of predation um, that is underlying because people realize like that same thing, get a guitar if you want to get a girlfriend when you're a kid. That is a mentality that permeates the culture through all walks of life. If you're old and you you want to be attractive, then you need to be an artist or you need to be rich or you need to be both because artists that's a license. Get... <laughs> you know, that's a true. I you just need to be rich. Successful. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. whether it's notoriety or whether it's monetarily, but implicit in that idea is that you have leverage. You have some kind of leverage with people to make yourself something that you otherwise would not be. And in entertainment, celebrity status is that leverage. Um, right. And so you have these people who one can leverage that to get access to things and relationships that otherwise they wouldn't have access to. But you also have people who see that that leverage exists and wants, want to take advantage of it because, yeah. hey, this is my opportunity to elevate myself in life. And that mm. makes it like really hard for me as a person to parse uh, how relatable those relationships are to my little real world. Because for whatever success I have in life, it's not like that. But someone can look at me and say, oh, he's got a job. He's got a house. I literally have my real estate agent say that when you, <laughs> it's like, once you get this house, you know, you're going to be more attractive to women. And I'm like, eh. And then, yeah. but the second thing she said was, and they won't like any of it. They'll want to change everything and you won't keep the house. <laughs> so that's two, that reminds so, me of two funny things. One funny thing is what I uh, first moved uh, into my bachelor pad, I said to myself, you know what? I'm not going to get anything nice because if I, if and when I ever meet somebody special, she's just going to want to throw everything out of mine anyway. <laughs> so I never, but then I, I have actually changed that mentality recently. I'm like, you know what? This is how it's going to be. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, another thing was, you damn I remember, you, do, you, damn if you don't. I remember asking someone about their ex. And I said, hey, so what did you like about that guy anyway? And she said, he had a nice apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, nice. <laughs> like, I mean, really? That comment might have been colored by doo-doo tinted glasses, too, because they, you know, they might not have felt that way at the beginning. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah. they may have reduced that person to that in the end, because like, like, I can do that with all my relationships. I can say, oh, yeah. Blah. <laughs> yeah, really I feel like I think yeah, I know. It is kind of unflattering, but I just I found that to be like there's no actual like personal characteristics that you could describe that you were attracted to. <laughs> Nothing. Just he had a nice apartment. Okay, mm-hmm. great. That's uh interesting. Uh Noel Dreyer 2 says, I've found that some people younger than me try to justify what they think or how they think they know better than you. As an older person with more experience than them. 
They just do not seem capable of accepting that older people with more experience in life could know more than them. This is funny. You know why? Because I once got into an argument with someone who was like very young, still in college. uh, And I was, you know, I was about like 10 years older or so. And then (laughs) and I'm sitting there like having this argument with them. And they clearly had the whole world figured out while they were a senior in college. And I said to myself, oh, yeah, I remember when I knew everything, too. (laughs) that's what i literally said that in the conversation i was like oh yeah i remember when i knew everything too that's the thing is like that uh willie you're gonna appreciate this so pearl jam on the album i think it's yield uh on the album what i know now that's red red mosquito that's no code i guess or no wait no that's yeah Is that yeah, no code or the- it's it's no code? It's no, uh, it's no code. So, so there's a song "Red Mosquito" by Pearl Jam's, and then they say Eddie Vedder and the outro and the band sings, "If I had known then what I know now," he said, he said over and over again, mm-hmm. "If I had known then what I know now." And later on in that same album, there's a spoken word. Uh, Eddie Vedder does a spoken word, and at the very last line of that spoken word, he says. If I only knew now what I knew then, which is an interesting flip, because Eddie Vedder, if he's anything, he's an excellent lyricist and an excellent uh, beat poet. And, um, it, you know, he said oh, in the man. outro of that song, it's, it's, it's a beautiful callback, which is if I had known then what I know now. And then he said, if I knew now what I knew then, which is such a brilliant observation and a wise observation about life, because there's certain things you just are so pers- like so specifically confident and sure about when you're young, which helps you get a lot of places. And I think that what happens sometimes is you learn certain lessons or you get burned in certain ways. You become a little jaded. You don't want to touch the hot stove again. And you start to like become maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just describing myself, but I, I, like, I feel like I've become... When I was younger, when I was a kid... I mean, I haven't changed too much, but like, I, there was literally no stopping me at anything. Like, I just would go into Manhattan. I would go onto like talk shows and st- like on like the talk show audiences. I skipped school and like, I just wanted to be on TV. I just wanted to be <laughs> involved in the entertainment industry in some way. So I would like go on mm-hmm. TV shows and ask questions just for the fun of it because it was free. And I was like 16, 17. I just would do all yeah. these things. I would go uh, up to any celebrity. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Exactly. Oh, there's a, there's clips. Uh, I would just do it because I was like, I could. What can I do that's in my power? And like, I, I would see celebrities in Manhattan, and I just go up to them like, Hey, what's going on? And, you know, and the, you know whether or not they treated me nice or not. You get a lot, away with a lot when you're a kid, also. But um, you know, th- there was a lot of just okay, now I'm going to be like in a band and take over the world. <laughs> you know, like just without any hesitation or doubt. And then, unfortunately. You know, certain experiences happen, certain mentalities aren't matched at your amplitude in a situation. Like, uh, you know, my band, I, I was probably the only, I'm the only one who's still kind of like doing this, <laughs> doing like some kind of entertainment thing uh, from my band. And it was because I just did um, never say die. I am a never say, I'm a no sleep till Brooklyn kind of guy. And uh, so I just say that. 
if I had only known now what I knew then, <laughs> sometimes I think about that. Right. Sometimes I think about, oh, yeah, yeah. relentlessness, uh, naivete. It's actually really helpful in certain situations. Um, but then See, I had to learn. I think those things. Oh, go for well, it. I, no, I was just going to say, I had to kind of learn. It's called, you know, this from psychology classes, learned helplessness. Like I had to learn that I couldn't do what I thought, what I thought I couldn't do with the things I wanted to do. I had to learn that. I didn't know that, which was what was very helpful because I just pursued whatever I wanted to pursue. And then I learned from others who have a lot more self-doubt than I do, which is not very helpful when like the thing about self-doubt is it's not a very useful, useful emotion because I've found that there are people who are much less capable <laughs> at certain things, like say, oh, I don't know, music or whatever, but gets very far because they don't have any self-doubt. And uh, it's really, um, it's an admirable trait to be stupid, <laughs> to be ignorant. I'm, I'm, I'm winding up because I've got some, <laughs> some, some, some heat to throw at you. Well, okay. I just want to quote uh, Raccoon Ra- Raiders uh, is quoting Bob Dylan. Oh, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. That's so true. Yeah. But go ahead, Will. I, I went on a bit of a diatribe about um, you know oh, no, learning just... not to be successful <laughs> from people who. Who am I to interrupt yeah. a diatribe of all people? <laughs> um, so fair enough. I was a late bloomer with music. I didn't pick up a guitar until I was 22 years old. So I teach myself. And so I also didn't have money. So I had to use a JCPenney's card <laughs> to order a cheap guitar from the JCPenney's catalog. And when it finally got to the point where I was like, this thing is unplayable. I need someone to fix it. I went to a local uh, repair guy who uh, did all the repairs for a music store. And I didn't know who he was or anything about him, but when I came upon him, I found out that he was like a guitar aficionado. He was very much into old vintage catalog guitars that he provided for like people who were into like really rustic hill country blues and stuff like that. So like there are some blues revivalists that he provided harmony and K guitars for, like the guitars that you would see Jack White playing in the beginning, those really ramshackle guitars, those were the kind of catalog guitars that he was into repairing and refurbishing. Um, and so he was, he was somebody and I didn't know he was somebody, but I came in there, nobody with all the ambition in the world to like do this music thing. Because before that I had been a big fan of music. I did a little poetry, a little rap, but I didn't have the aptitude for actually creating music. And I got a lot of pushback when I tried to work with musicians. So I came into him and I was like, Oh, can you fix this? And he's like, Oh yeah, this is actually a pretty decently built guitar. I can make something out of this. Um, and I'm looking at all the really cool guitars he has hanging from the wall and everything. And I was like, oh, I'll just play some of my music while you're here. And uh, <laughs> he heard my music and he looked at me and he said, oh, man, your music sounds like uh, white boy coffee shop folk music. And like, one, it was dead on the money. And two, it deflated me so much. Oh, like, wow. Because like it was so easy yeah. for him to pay it. Like, of course, if you ask, well, what do you listen to? Well, I'd have been like, oh, Jeff Buckley, Elliot Smith, Ben Harper. <laughs> no, I oh, wasn't yeah. in that. So, yeah. no, so it, was, uh, it was the stuff like, 
that was kind of folks listen to so that's like all right okay i gotta i gotta step my game up and he's like oh yeah you need to put some soul in your playing and all this and he he looked at me and asked me what i listened to and i just started rattling off everything because i listened to everything and he said you know what and this is a flip on what you said about learned helplessness he put a different spin on it um and i respected him a lot for it because at the time i was just like hmm i'll take a note of that and he said at some point you're going to have to pick one thing because there's too much of everything and you're not going to have the time or the energy to immerse yourself in everything the way you're doing right now and for me when i made that decision at first it was jazz i was a metal guy when i started because he was older than me by you i wouldn't have been able to tell it by looking but he was old enough that he would have been a contemporary with the guys from living color and fishbone and he was really into their stuff when they came out and metal so and he was an african-american fellow um so he was already on an island as far as being in st louis missouri having those tastes being into the music the way he was at the time during the time period he was so he had already experienced all that so he had a, a, a way head start on me and we had one musician in common that we both really liked and it was my bridge into the blues a guy named alvin youngblood Hart, who's freaking amazing um but we started talking about like for me all the stuff from that period of like quote-unquote black rock and the black rock movement and then the jazz basses that came out of so when he said i had to pick one thing and this is what i picked and he said it was he jazz, jazz. And it was the blues but yeah and he ended so, up landing on the blues which got him into those old guitars and the alvin young blood heart who he ended up becoming friends with and i got to meet um, oh dang and uh so I was well that's like, a yeah Dang. oh I was going to say, I, I had to decide, like, am I going to settle for one thing? Is there going to be one thing for me? And I couldn't fathom it at the time. I was, I I had that same naivete where it's like, I love all these different kinds of music. I love music that blends different things. And I, when he said that, I felt like it was a limitation. I was like, well, how well, dare yeah. him think that you can only do one thing? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think it's a good thing to choose something to jump off as a jumping off point for sure. And uh, spend the time getting good at that thing, and then what happens? I, I personally, as a musician, it's good to it's good to be obsessed <laughs> with with music in, in particular, for if you want to be you know a practicing musician. Uh, and uh, I spent a year learning classical guitar. I said I want to learn classical guitars, and I just, you know, like I learned all this classical music for a year I spent. And I said to myself, I'm going to spend this year only taking classical guitar lessons. And, um, it's a good starting point. It's a good jumping off point. And it helps, I think round well, makes it for a well-rounded musician to, you know, be ginger Baker and go to, uh, Western Africa. Where do you go? Cameroon? Right. <laughs> and yeah, like, that sounds about right. Well, he was, he ended up living with fellow cootie for a while. So yeah. that would put him in. Where is Fella Cootie from? I should know this because I follow both his sons. Zimbabwe. Um, Wait, I forget. But here's the thing. No, it's, it's in Western Africa. The thing about that to me that is special is that it's Nigeria. it's true. Nigeria. My bad. Uh, the, the thing about that that's really special is that that's a true musician. A true musician is constantly hungering for new levels of musicianship like i said the other day you never become an ex musician i don't think so anyway right you're just constantly even if you don't have an instrument in your hands you're listening to music and 
parsing it in some way or hearing it in a different way or, or noticing different musical um, wrinkles that you might not have noticed before. And you're just constantly sort of enjoying music uh, in a different way and growing as a musician, even if you don't have a musician, uh, uh, instrument in your hands. So I think that, you know, you just stop. Like I was saying, I think that's the moral for today is like, is there such thing as failing or is there such thing as quitting? And I think there's no such thing as failure when you are pursuing the thing you love, because if you stop pursuing the thing you love, then did you fail or did right. you quit? You know? Right. Because you well, can't can't just be an ex-musician. can't be like, I used to play, I used to be a musician. It's weird to me to hear that. Because um, I would never... swung at the wind-up and not the pitch. What's, I swung at the wind-up? <laughs> what does that mean? And not the pitch. That wasn't the pitch. I told you I was serving you some heat. That was a long Do you want to go to war? Into... Because we could go to war. I'm for real. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the, the pitch what's the... is what he said was not about music at all it was yeah. about useful energy in life like yeah. as we get older we can do our best to condition ourselves to a certain level of strength and endurance and everything but at a certain point your threshold starts to decrease and so you have to work in like certain bursts like you, you have a burst for a certain period of time but then you have to recover and the more recovery time you have, the less things you can use that burst for. And so there are certain things in life that were... You talk about like burnout were, and stuff. Not even yeah. burnout. Like literally yeah. just like exhaustion. Like, yeah. so uh, you, you can muster this useful energy towards certain things. And in the moment that you muster that energy, you are yourself when you were 10 years old. Like that exuberance, that joy, it comes back to you feel light on your feet, like everything is great. But you're only going to be able to do it that once. Like in some cases, it applies to romance, like a new relationship, right? When it starts, boom, puppy love all over again. You might recognize some things that are patterns, but in general, you find yourself enamored with doing things that you haven't done in a long time. With a new song or a new band, the first time you hear them and they're doing something that you really want to hear, it's like, Oh man, this is where it's at. I love this. I'm really excited for this. I'm going to search out everything they do. You see a great movie. You haven't seen one that's this good in a long time. And you're just like, man, I want to talk about this until there's nothing left to say about this movie. Well, yeah, it find happens. those things that make you feel that way, right? Is that? Yeah. But yeah. you can only do so much at once. Like for me, like if there's a video game I want to play, like, and it's an immersive game, well, I'm not going to be playing three or four video games anymore. I'm going to have to like sit and focus. Like it used to be, I would have the TV on and I would be listening to music and I would be doing something. Now it's like, all right, the TV's on nothing else. I'm listening to music, nothing else. I'm reading nothing else. I can't mix the Well, that's mindfulness. You're practicing mindfulness. I actually just don't have the capacity, man. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. Like, I will read the same paragraph seven times in a row if I'm also having music playing and it's pulling my attention. I just yeah, I can't that, that level of multitasking. I can't read with music playing. I can't go to sleep with music playing. My brain it just engages my brain too much. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that uh, mindfulness is one of the things I'm. I'm reading a lot about stoicism, <laughs> like the Stoics and Seneca and and all of these uh, ancient philosophers who were like, "Hey, 
There's no use in worrying about the past, and there's no use in worrying about the future. You can plan for the future, but worrying about it just means, like, you know, you suffer more worrying about a, a thing that could go bad than you would in the moment if it goes bad. So you got to, like, really focus on what's in front of you and the day uh, at hand and the, the task at hand. Mm. And that's the best way to be present, to be present, to live and focus, you know, Interesting. just... Yeah. So, like, it's kind of wasted thoughts because you, you can't change the past. But what if that's contingent on how you frame it? Like, uh, one of the, the little quips that my former boss used to throw out was, work smart, not hard. Yeah, that's and, true. And implicit in that is the idea, just be familiar with what you're doing to the point where you can excel at it so that you don't have to overexert yourself to accomplish the goal. And yeah. so, I mean, like, there's something to be said for, like, uh, phenomenality um, the being in the moment just existing for a moment in and of itself but uh, those who don't learn from their past are doing to repeat it and unless you really enjoy what another you're doing Pearl over, and over and over again another Pearl Jam quote uh, which song was that one in? Um, those who don't learn from the past are destined, destined to repeat uh, nothing man oh oh shit Oh, there you go. That title just took on a new meaning, man. Because that's phenomenology in a nutshell. It's like, it is what it is. But yeah, yeah, I mean, so I think there's a balance. Like, it seems like philosophy, like, this is just my attitude on it, is half of it's good insight, and half of it is counterpoints to the insight for the sake of establishing yourself as a philosopher. Like, because that was for some people's profession like look I need to be known I, I want to be a notable scholar so I need to come up with some stuff that yeah. someone else hasn't come up with before and the easiest way is to be antithetical to something that's already out there yeah <laughs> well that's yeah. that that's a little bit cynical about looking at things I think that the well, society I'm yeah, yeah that's <laughs> fair enough I'm, I'm talking about Seneca not cynical <laughs> Seneca is a philosopher. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just so, but the thing that about that whole thing, and then I gotta wrap it up. But um, yeah, it's it's like I think though things are constantly changing societally, and that's why it's valid to have newer philosophies because I think that when things are added and integrated into how this collective works, this collective called humankind, and when things are added to it, like, say, the internet, we've never experienced a world with the internet, so we've got to start to understand how that changes things forever. We are literally patched into each other, all completely connected to every single other human who has got access to the internet, um, and technically, probably every other human, because then there's just a degree off from the internet or two. There's nobody that's really yeah. isolated from it, except unless you are from the uh, Sentinel Island. If you're a Sentinelian, <laughs> you you don't have no internet there. But, uh, exactly. So, you know, I would say that it is valid to have new perspectives on how to deal with these certain things. Like, I guarantee you, this is my pers my my prognostication uh i would say that in 10 years or so people are going to look back at this era of the wild wild west of social media and be like they let children use this <laughs> like cigarettes like we look at cigarettes and alcohol like the, when there was no regulation for cigarettes and al alcohol when it's like you let people do this 
like willy nilly. Not to invoke your name, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Noel Dreyer too says, "I like types of all types of music. Music has been the building block for today's music. Well, yeah, everything builds on everything else." So it's cumulative. And he yeah. uh, also says, I found out a lot of musicians seem to take their personal life and write music to it. For instance, John Denver, Johnny Cash, and there are others. Well, yes, you write what you know. That's what they say, right? I mean, a lot of people write about aliens. Like, let's say you're um, Coheed and Cambria. You're talking about aliens and a whole quadrilogy and stuff. <laughs> but, you know, mm-hmm. you got to write what you know, generally speaking. And uh, I just saw this quote the well, other day. Well, they knew yes. They knew yes. They said... Yes, you mean like... I said yes, and I meant Rush. I'm sorry. Oh. I meant oh. Rush. Even though Yes talks about aliens, too. I mean, Cody and Gabriel, they're a prog yeah. rock emo band. So they're they're writing what they know, and they just happen to know some very creative rock bands. Yes, uh, oh, very true. Oh, the other piece of heat, before we get too yeah. far gone. It's a yeah. little piece of heat that I'm winding up and I'm throwing. Earlier it can't be we worse than the, holop- about- the habaneros I had the other day. Go ahead. <laughs> about <laughs> dealing with people who are younger and information about ourselves that we try and communicate from our experience to someone who just doesn't hear it. Right. There is a very old adage that applies directly to that that you probably heard as a young person and didn't really put much weight to it because you were young and someone older said this to you. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Yes, you could beat a dead horse, but you can't look it in the teeth. And you're seven hands high, its grass is always greener on the silver lining. If a bird in the hand is worth, uh, is that, is that right? <laughs> no, but I, I agree. Two in a bucket. <laughs> two, two in a bucket. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, like there's another old saying. Well, that's what I, you know. Anyway, go ahead. There we go. Uh, wrap it's it up. Contrary to what you said about new philosophers, but I don't think it is. Um, because of how it plays out and that's there's nothing new under the sun um right if you look at it from a cosmological perspective like what percentage of the universe are we as human beings able to perceive like the simple fact that everything we see right side up is actually upside down and our brains are wired to the gravity of this planet and not the universe to tell us that we are extremely limited so most well, of the phenomenon we occur yeah. well i think that to push back on that I think that philosophy is a it's not like science necessarily Uh, Noel Dredger says thanks is this will science is a measure of the universe science is a measure and and a repeatable measure of the universe but philosophy is maybe there's nothing new under the sun but there are newer things that can occur to us there's new information that we can use uh, to sort disagree. of to to decide, and philosophy is not a pursuit of. It is a pursuit of truth, but it's not a pursuit of truth through measurement. It's a pursuit of truth through thought and speculation yeah. and pon- and pondering. So it is. It is. A, it can help resonate and help organize certain things, um, but it's not. It's can't. It's not to be counted out. It's it's a valid way to chew on inf- new information and incorporate it into society. I think. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not trying to belittle science when I say that. It's more along the lines of there are philosophies that have existed for far longer than modern civilization, 
that may just be applicable, but because of ethnocentrism and a lack of exposure, a lot of us don't even acknowledge them. So like when you get into Eastern philosophy and asceticism and the foundations for that, it is pretty applicable to most of the things we struggle with, regardless of what science puts in front of us. Like moderation is the key and the key is to overcome the limits of your own physical and mental capacity by detaching yourself from those things so that you have more control over them. like that's a universal that's that's an altruistic philosophy and i think altruism has its place and that's the eternal philosophies that will never shake that's just my not so cynical attitude about philosophy yeah i mean it's a uh... Uh, do you feel the same? Do you feel my heart beating? Is it? Uh, it it's it, it's eternal flame. <laughs> I said that like George W. Bush. <laughs> I was trying to sing a Bengal song just now, <laughs> and it sounded like George W. Bush. Well, sounded you, like you, uh, you really did. <laughs> <laughs> sounds you fool like me once. fool me once, can't get fooled again. I said it like that. Well, how's that song go? Uh, 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 is this burning an eternal flame what a beautiful song uh ladies and gentlemen treat yourself to the bangles eternal flame after this uh it's a very wonderful song i always get the bangles and the go-go's mixed up and i'm not being sexist when i do that i'm just the go-go saying we got the beat belinda carlisle belinda carlisle i know that's the go-go's uh and um and uh Susanna Hoffs. Susanna Hoffs is in the yeah, she's in the she's in the Bengals. Prince wrote their songs or a song for them. Yes, uh, and also, uh, that's might have been Eternal Flame. That might be a Prince song actually, because it sounds like "Is uh, This Burning." That sounds like a no. There's a manic manic Monday. Manic Monday. That's it. You're right. That's right. I had to think Correct. about that for a second. I was wrong. You are right. See how easy that is. <sighs> Let's talk about that yesterday. How hard it is for people to say, I don't know, and also I was wrong. Sorry. Uh, yeah. It's so easy. <laughs> it's so it, easy. Generationally, it, it's getting worse. Like, kids now, like me working with kids, like, it's like you're trying to drill through their hand when you try and get them to say sorry. Like, they are, like, viscerally resistant to the concept. I don't know yeah. where the heck that came from. I don't remember being that way as a kid, but now kids, like, it is violently upsetting. What happened? Kids, people are not, they cannot allow themselves to be wrong about anything, which is absurd. I think it ties into cancel culture too, because you have to be right about everything all mm. of the time. And it's just, that's just not how it works. The brain, humanity, to err is human. This is a, a quote. Some ancient wisdom. <laughs> Some ancient <laughs> wisdom from Steve Shakespeare. All right. Well, that's it. That's all we got for today. We'll be back tomorrow. So, uh, good discussion. Is this Will? Thank you, as always, for joining us. Is this Will? Always contributing, uh, elevating the conversation uh, to where uh, we no one where no one has gone before. Thank you so so much, and have a wonderful ah. evening. This is Aristotle Well, Check this out on the podcast tomorrow, anywhere you can get podcasts. Also, like this video if you're watching it, and also subscribe, and also give me all your money.